Blog Talk Radio. This is KWOD Radio, and this is Patty Holtzrain, and we're on live with Alexander Gallant. And I have a lot to say about him. Um, he's a historical researcher. He's done the novel Dracula, the Undead. He's done a lot of research for that uh, on the New York Times bestsellers list in October 2009. Alexander also co-wrote the screenplay at that adaptation and was optioned briefly uh, for that, and we are happy to have him on board here. He, of course, has uh, his own book, and this one is going to be an exciting uh, addition, I think, to what we've been talking about this week, which is researching history. And so, with no further ado, um, Alexander, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? Yep, I hear you. Excellent. So I, I kind of briefed them on your previous works. So tell us where you're from and where you're at right now and a little bit about you. Uh, I'm, well, I'm, uh, I'm from, from Toronto, Canada, and actually that's um, pretty much where I'm at right now. I just actually live just outside of Toronto and um, used, to, used to work in the film industry and done a lot of theater. And uh, got into writing, so it was a strange evolutionary process. But uh, you know, this is this Death of Deception is my kind of debut novel. Awesome! You got uh, you're we're talking a little about your Dracula the Undead, and of course, I promised a few people that we would definitely talk about that um, on top of your new stuff, and. So tell us how you got involved in that project. Uh, with Dracula the Undead, um, actually, uh, ironically, through this 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 one, um, I had written uh, Death of Deception initially, uh, part of a three-day novel writing contest. I was doing book covers for um, for a company in California who they kind of a, uh, have a writer's kind of lifeline and put books packages together. And I told them I was unavailable because I was doing this three-day novel writing contest. And they said, well, send us the first three chapters when you're done, when you're finished. And I did. Because this was set in 1912, Dracula was the Undead was going to be set in 1912. Um, it, one thing kind of led to the other. And then I, you know, because I had done a, a lot of research to that time period and had done a lot of Dracula projects uh, previously, um, I got involved with it that way. Kind of lost you there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, there we go. Uh, you, did you research historically for the, your Dracula uh, options there? It's for, for Dracula the Undead, yes. Um, I I did all the research, the historical research in the novel. Um, you know, I had all the maps for, you know, Victorian London. Uh, also, you know, to all the, the time periods, to uh, Paris at the time, um, you know, all the all that stuff. Even the, you know, under underwater ways and the the, the way the subway tunnels were back in 1912. Mm-hmm. 
So um, you would probably know quite a bit about, because this is like turn-of-the-century information, uh, you could probably pretty do pretty well writing some steampunk. I'm sorry, what, some what? Steampunk. Steampunk is like turn-of-the-century. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, it was just to cut out there for a second. Yeah, um, possibly if the, if the the right story came came into mind. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, I'll have to talk to you more about that later. But uh, now, you, you, of course, I'm really excited about your new project. Uh, since I was, I saw your cover and it was intriguing, and then I read your uh, your synopsis on it, and thought this is really something that uh, my readers and my listeners would definitely get into, which is why. I said, you know, hey, you know, would you like to come on and get in- interviewed here? Because, you know, I, I know what my peeps read. <laughs> and your book was right up their alley. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it is. So uh, with that, so tell us about your new project, because I'm, I know that a lot of them have been reading a little bit about that, and they want to know uh, from you kind of how you got involved with this. Uh, with the death of your deception. Yeah, death, your death of deception. Okay, it's, uh, Death of Deception is uh, what I call is a, a Titanic murder mystery. Uh, although it's it's connected to Titanic, the, the novel itself is set in 1982, not 1912. Um, and a woman is found floating in the North Atlantic. She's a young woman, but she's dressed in Edwardian clothing. And um, the only identification she has on her is a ticket to the RMS Titanic and a locket that has the name Myra on it. And so that's that's that part of the of the story. And then at the same time, over on the other side in in, uh, in England, um, an insurance investigator is, is uh, assigned the, uh, to try to find what happened to a boat that went missing from an unsolved murder at the turn of the century. And it is believed that it may have ended up on the Titanic. So that's wow. so that's the synopsis in a, in in a short form. Well, how did you come upon this idea? Uh, the idea actually the the idea first came to me when I was actually standing in the in the grocery store uh, in, the, in the checkout and I saw a tabloid headline uh, that said "Woman Found uh, on Iceberg." Uh, Titanic survivor found on iceberg, woman still dressed, her clothes still wet, um, uh, found on Titanic. And this was this was going back a long time ago. It was, I think, back in 1990. And and I, I saw that. Uh, I don't even think that tabloid exists anymore, but I saw I saw it and I thought, well, that would make it for a great film because, again, I was working in the film industry at the time. But it was an, it was an interesting idea, but I didn't have anything to go with any story to go with it, and I was too broke to actually buy the, the magazine. It was either bread or magazine, so I chose bread. Um, but the, the the idea kind of was in my head for a long time. I kind of wrote down the headline and um, filed it away, and then when this three-day novel writing contest came up uh, 15 years later, um, I was going through story ideas, and by this point I had a... My daughter was a year old at the time, now being a father, I suddenly had the heart of the story. I knew what the motive would be if you were to accept somebody coming forward through time. What would be, what would 
be willing to suspend belief that someone, the reason someone would come forward in time. And so mm-hmm. that's how that came to be. Okay. Now, of course, uh, being a time travel lover that I am and those who uh, are listening going, oh, I know where she's going with this. Um, yeah. I, I really get into anything time travel. So what was your idea regarding the time travel element? Well, the I, I get to be a little bit more amb- ambiguous on it because for a while it, it goes, you start to believe that perhaps she actually is, she has come forward in time. But then there is the possibility that exists that sh- this might all be a very, very elaborate hoax. So, mm-hmm. um, but the the um, so it's it's one of those that I, that I, I I kept vague for most most of the novel. I, although I do explore the different time travel theories, you know, as as the you know in in the novel to just help suspend the the belief on that. Right. So you don't you're not really sure about your time travel, whether or not you believe in it? Or whether I believe in it? Yeah. Um myself personally. Um I I think it, I've always wanted to believe that it could be possible. That it would be very interesting and the only the, the problem that you do tend to have with the time travel uh are the paradoxes. And that was something I really had to work on when writing this, because there's a lot of, you know, I have, I'm have i a huge fan of time travel stories and everything else, but sometimes they drive me crazy when there's an obvious paradox and they don't tie up the loose end. <laughs> and, it, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> and most, yeah, most, of them have been, most of them have been, most of them have been in films. And, um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they, uh, well, you know in the industry that that the the story is never fully developed on the on screen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate, but in most cases, this is true. Um, they just don't quite finish, you know, or it gets cut and sits on the editing floor. <laughs> so, uh, how if you were going to uh, have you have you written this for screenplay yet, or or ha- do you have any? Ambition to do that. Um, for for myself, um, even though I haven't done that sort of thing like I did with with uh, Dracula the Undead, but this is such uh, an expansive, and I'm, I'm right now I'm too close to it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I could do it because, of course, as you said, some things have to get edited down, especially for you know to take a, a book that's you know. Um, in the printed version, it's 280 pages long, you know, and to try to cut that down to a 120-page screenplay, mm-hmm. you know, it's, things are going to have to get cut out. And having been, you know, whereas, and that's the beauty of being a, writing a novel is you get to be the art director, the director, you know, you design the whole look of, the, of, of everything. You know, have to cut it down and figure out who gets to have to keep what lines because any actor that speaks on screen, you have to pay them more. Um, so, it's, and and also ha- having all these lo- different locations that I you know that I go to again, it's, it's a very expensive thing. But oh, I yeah. think I could I I could trim it down right now myself. I don't think I could do it right now. This is not to say that I won't do it down the road. You know, I've I've learned <laughs> never to say never because right. things things change down the road. So Although a lot of people have 
a lot of people have said that this would make an awesome film. But, you know, it's I don't right now I'm not I'm too close to it to do it. So okay. This is kind of course interesting that you bring this up. Now okay, let's say that somebody says, you know what, um, Alex, what if what if I write your screenplay for you and um would you allow them to do that? Absolutely. <laughs> because um, it, it, yeah, you know no. what I'm saying? Because you're too close to it, but allowing somebody else, I mean, you, you still have to let it go. Yes. You know? Oh, I know. I, I, and I totally understand that. And um, and and more often than not, uh, and I know this from, again, having worked in the, the film industry, that most of the film industry people prefer that the novelist not be involved in the screenplay. Um, right. <laughs> and that's that's just the, the mindset of the film industry, and I I can't understand why. Um, you know, the Stevenson, who of course everybody loves his books, or not everybody, but most, you know he's 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 top in his genre. Um, but they don't like him being involved in the screenplay. Involved? No, in the they they don't mind him doing cameos, but they don't want him yeah. being involved in the screenplay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. Again, I, now that you have been on both sides, but before I get into that, I want to do a little business here and let everybody know. Uh, again, you got to guys got to call in because you know I I don't I have a lot of questions for them, but I'm sure you guys can come up with some others. And so the number here is seven one four two four two five one four five. Or if you're just shy and don't want to ask questions, uh, I just write it on the chat down at the bottom of the page here. Uh, that you're looking at when you're re- listening to us live here, and write it in, and I will definitely ask ask him for you. So seven one four two four two five one four five, and in a few minutes I will also get on my Facebook page. So I do have some peeps that usually uh, give me some kind of questions. Um, I've got some friends who are, are do small uh, production work for for small film. So uh, one of the things they said was obviously and, and something that. I totally agree with them, and that because now you've seen both sides. So you were in the industry, you know, film industry before, but now you're on the other side with the actual book that you've completely written, and it's your child. Alex? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. I'm, I'm following. <laughs> yeah, so, so it, it's a completely different mindset, don't you think? Um, yes, and, and of course that would be, yeah, if, if somebody was to, was to come along and say we'd like to option, um, you know, buy the, the, the film rights, uh, the rights to make, make this into a film and option it and whatever the case may be, you know, obviously I'm getting entertainment lawyer involved, but as far as the, you know, having to let it go, I think is what you're asking, um, and trusting somebody not to ruin it, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, it's it, it'll be tough, but um, but the reality of it is, it would be something I would have to, you know, have to accept. You know, okay. I know that again because I've maybe it's because I've I've worked in the industry and I and I accepted that even before I started. You know, but you know, you know, and of course, I think every author, you know, has you know, things. What if it gets to this point, or what? You know, wouldn't it be cool if it somebody wanted to make a film on it? Well, sure. The thought, the thought had entered my mind, and I knew 
from experience that's likely what would happen. So. Right. Well, good. And so here's the other question. And this is something I've been hearing a lot lately, and that um, a lot of films or a lot of uh, scripts are being shelved. In other words, people uh, these industries are um, buying the scripts and then shelving them because they don't want anyone else to do the film. Have you heard this story, right. or are we just is this just a wives' tale, or what's going on? Um, I don't know of any. Well, actually, I did know that there was one that that happened. It wasn't quite so consciously that it was that they bought it for the sole purpose of selling it. Um, William Goldman, when he wrote uh, his book, The Princess Bride, um, somebody had had bought the the rights to it and was going to green light it to to be made into a film. And then that that guy lost his job. And so then when the next person comes in, um, he shelved it. And mm. William Goldman managed to buy it back, which is something rarely happens. But he managed <laughs> to buy it back so that it wouldn't stay on the shelf. For <laughs> but as far oh, as that's as the as first as time I heard that story. That's interesting. Yes. And what a, what a shame actually, that would have been. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but... Uh, um, as far as I don't know of any, I have heard that sort of thing, but I haven't. Um, I don't know of any specific examples of any properties that have been bought for the sole purpose of just selling them. Hmm. Because I've been hearing that this has been happening lately, so I hadn't heard it as far back as. I mean, that was in the eighties. Yeah, but it was actually. I think it. I think at the time that it happened, it was even before that. It was the eighties right. when the movie was finally made, but. Um, but it was early, um, that was in William Goldman's book. He wrote uh, called "What Lies Did I Tell?" I think it's the name of the book. Hmm. So he he definitely was able to. That, that's interesting that he was able to buy it back. That's uh, yeah, I mean, which, which apparently is, is unheard of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that someone would be able to buy back their their property. But yeah, that, I know that a lot of authors have been doing that lately. Um, page have decided, you know, because it's been it's been sitting on uh they're not some of these uh companies are not making them into ebooks and so, you know, a lot of authors are trying to get the 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 their older um contracts and uh, contracts don't stipulate ebook rights or electronic rights because it was, you know, bef- before the ebook. So, yeah, uh, they've been that's that's happening a lot for authors, you know, from the you know seventies and eighties, and even to early nineties. That uh, they now having to go back and try to get their ebook rights, and uh, if they did it early on, uh, the the, the publishers weren't savvy enough to understand the implications and, th- and blew it off. They thought, well, there's no money in it, so sure, we'll give you the rights to do electronic sales. Uh, <laughs> Now they're a little more savvy, and they they realize no, no, we're not going to you know give you rights to that. Well, we're going to go back and do them. It's just that you're in line of you know all these other books, so you have to stay in line. So it's one reason why a lot of books have not been put into uh, ebook format yet. Is uh, it's taking time to go in the back, you know, uh, their backlist and actually do that. 
So, and there's some that are backlisted that you know have been out of print for a while. But you right. know, this is part of part of it. Is you you have exchanged uh, the the industry, your uh, one industry for another. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's there's things like this um, in any industry. And uh, <laughs> you just have to put up with it. You have to play their games, right? Right. Well, and then again, you know, the, the especially the, the the industry has been changing, especially you know now getting into you know the the e-books and uh, the, the boom that it has has created. Right. Uh, and there's of course things that nobody could foresee, you know, ten ten years ago, let alone you know twenty or thirty years ago. Now, my understanding is that your first book here, Death of Deception, is only an e-book format. Is that correct? No, it's not. Uh, it, it actually came out as an e-book first because that was the because I had wanted to um, have it come out and kind of coincide with the, the centenary of uh, Titanic. It was the 100th anniversary this year, and so it came out as an e-book at the end of March, um, and then uh, it came out in in a soft uh, cover print version. Uh, at the end of um, at the end of April, and it's uh, that's available through Amazon. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. That's uh. Um, Barnes and Noble now is now carrying it. Very good. Very good. That's awesome. By the way, I have to say that being graphic designer, I I loved your cover. Oh, excellent. So, Actually, my. Uh, it was. I, I kind of had that mental picture in my head, but uh, my uh, my wife Carmen Gillespie, she actually did the 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 crosshatch illustration with the the Manhattan skyline and the the, the Titanic reflecting in the water. Yeah, that's just excellent because it it definitely looks um, like they go together. <laughs> yeah. So um, you say dark secrets, Barry. Is there anything that you can uh, give us without giving away your plot? Um, well, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because there are, and this is one of the, the fun thing that uh, a lot of the recent reviews, especially the ones here on the, the, the virtual book tour, have commented all the the varying storylines that are happening in, in the last one, so the Chris Cross slashing into each other, so it is a very uh, involved, twisting story, But uh, and that's part of the mystery of what the, what the secrets were that were buried uh, on the Titanic and who was actually involved, and so that, that becomes part of the mystery, and I'm sorry for being so vague, but it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's for the novel that it just uh, unraveled slowly as, as your or actually goes Okay. Fast. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's being really cryptic here, but we're gonna we're gonna get him to read a little bit here, so you get prepared for that while I give uh, the information, more information, just to let the peeps know that on your chat, um, you have your, I have his uh, website there, so that way you guys can go and click on there and be able to go to his website and take a look at the book. But again, the call number is seven one four two four two five one four five. 
and I will be checking on Facebook in a few minutes, and I will be getting his uh, and the other information from Alex on where to find uh, where to find him, so you guys can talk to him. So with that, we're going to uh, about ready to to get some excerpts from you, from Alex here on his new book. Are you ready? You want to kind of set up yes, the scene? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, this this uh, specific excerpt uh, takes place in the Manhattan Clinic, um, and it, again, keep in mind it's 1982. And this uh, psychiatrist, her name is Dr. Natalie Lindsay, is uh, trying to um, find out the identity of this mysterious young woman, uh, Myra, who believes it's 1912, and that, uh, that she's still, that it's still 1912, and that she was aboard Titanic. So. Dr. Uh, Lindsay, Natalie, brings in Edward, who's an elderly gentleman who's not only a Titanic expert, but, uh, but he's also a survivor. He, had been, he was a small boy when the Titanic sank. So in this excerpt, uh, Edward is, has recreated the last first-class meal that was served uh, aboard the Titanic to try to disprove uh, Myra's claim that she was on Titanic. So, okay, so I'll start to read here. Um, Will you excuse me, Myra addressed Dr. Natalie Lindsay. I need to visit the powder room. Of course. An orderly escorted Myra out of the room. The moment she exits, Natalie turns to Edward. This is very nice, but have we learned anything? Oh, yes. The woman is well-bred. Edward is gestured to Myra's place at him. She has done more than memorize the menu from the books. She has been educated in the fine dining etiquette. European etiquette, to be exact. Well, how do you know? Natalie was curious, feeling like she was watching through his Sherlock. From the way she places, uh, uses and places her cutlery, he smiled. Natalie hoped that he hadn't noticed how she was faring with the multiple utensils, so she moved the discussion away from the and inside. Uh, so maybe she was schooled in Europe. That might explain the slight accent. Um, some kind of boarding school, perhaps? My thoughts, exactly. So how are we going to prove that she wasn't on Titanic? She is about to fail the test, Edward smiled triumphantly. Watch. As the third course meal was placed on the table, Natalie glanced at the clock and wondered what was taking so long. Then she recalled the layers of undergarments that Myra was wearing and wondered how any woman could have managed. Shortly thereafter, Myra was escorted back in. Natalie couldn't help but marvel at Myra's grace. She seemed to glide along the floor, her feet invisible and silent beneath the billowing dress. Edward once again stood up, held the chair for her as she sat. Myra glanced down and laughed. What's so funny? Edward asked as he returned to his seat. Forgive me, Edward. You have done a splendid recreation of the dinner from Titanic. However, you've made a small error. Natalie watched a bewildered, jaw-dropping expression form on Edward's face as he hoarsely whispered, Error? Oh, it's an honest mistake, I'm sure. The dinner menu did state poached salmon with mousseline sauce. We were, however, served salmon... Uh, mayonnaise potted shrimp instead. Natalie could tell from Edward's phone expression that this was not what he expected to hear. How, how did you know, he said. I was there. I loved poached salmon with Mussolini sauce and was dreadfully disappointed when they didn't serve it. In addition, the music isn't quite right. Mr. Hartley's orchestra played bright time only during luncheons. In the evenings, he played more soothing pieces like the Merry Little Waltz or the Blue Danube. Without skipping a beat, the orchestra switched the music to what Natalie assumed was the blues of the 
The warm sound brought a smile to Myra's face. Natalie looked over at Edward, who started rubbing his hands together, even heated them with his breath. Myra closed her eyes as she swayed happily to the music. Then her face contorted as she recalled an image. My son didn't like the potted shrimp. He dropped them on the floor, kicked them under the table, out of sight. His father caught him in the act. And then without warning, he struck, stop! Edward stood up from the table. The musician stopped playing. Myra opened her eyes and looked at him with confusion. Edward, obviously embarrassed and confused, placed his napkin down on the plate. He looked at Dr. Lindsay. I've had enough of the charade. Please excuse me. Without another word, he stormed out of the room without making any eye contact with Myra. He looked hurt and confused and glanced back to Dr. Lindsay for blue eyes to see That's the end of the episode. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you got a cliffhanger there, so that's because uh, people want to read it. And I think did you did you have a second one for us or? Uh, well, I, I, I thought kind I, of put them together. Yeah, yeah, that was the one I had to have because I knew there was a, a couple that you had uh, on your on your site or you're on your blog already. So. Okay. Yeah, it's just true. So everyone needs to. Yeah, I'm not about to let me add that. Since I wanted everyone to know where that was too. Um, we had uh, Alexander. He was on our blog, and he's got a couple of um, excerpts on there as well. So you guys can definitely read that. And I'm going to add that to the, the direct link to his day because it was it was on Friday. That's right. And then. Uh, that way, everyone can have uh, more things to read about you. That's always a fun thing to do. Now, other than your website, where would they find you? Uh, well, there's, there's the um, uh, the depth of deception depth of deception dot com site, and through right. contact there, they, it, it goes an email directly to me. Uh, I also have a Facebook um, page. More depth of deception, and as well as one for myself as uh, as a writer. So Alexander Golan, in brackets, writer. So. I don't think I am attached to you, so that's probably why I didn't know you were there. Let's go find you. So I will also add that. Uh, let you guys know so that way he can. And a G A L A N T. That's correct. Golan, G A L A N T one L. There you go. And that's, you know, some people don't get those things right. So then it's like, I can't find you. Well, it's probably because you spelled the name wrong. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> and and Gallant gets spelled, in, uh, spelled often with two L's, so that's why I have to spell. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, that's why I said that. I think that's probably the thing true. And I, I'm looking at your website, and you also have um, you have a little trailer there. And uh, yeah, you're talking one, about the. One minute book filler. Yeah, you had the Titanic murder mystery, and you got some newspapers there, and I thought it was curious, and, and I used one of them on your pictures uh, for this show. Is that an actual piece from, from history, or is that something that was made up? Uh, the uh, the one that's, that, that you used there, that was, actually, that was actually one I created for the book trailer. Um, the headline is real. The, the, I, I took the headline from a 1912 headline, 
Um, but the, actually, the image that you see there of the the, the Titanic, the, the cross-hatched image, is the same image of the Titanic that's on the book cover, uh, <laughs> only just flipped and uh, um, uh-huh. just on it on its own. So it's it's the one that was done uh, by Carmen Gillespie. And um, now, did you find a color so version of that? Is that what you use on the cover? For the for the book cover, did you use a color version of the Titanic? Oh, that well, no, I, I um, my wife did, did it as a as a crosshatch ink uh, drawing, and then uh, I colored oh, it cool. in, in Photoshop. Did you and, break and likewise, it up? Yeah, likewise, the, the newspapers that were used in the book trailer. Um, That's what I'm saying. I'm like, okay. We're we're all. <laughs> were all created. Cause, well, that's one of the things I used to do in the film industry. I used to create those kinds of uh, props for... Uh, oh. Very cool. Very cool. Because I appreciate that kind of effort because uh, I've been a graphic designer for 22 years. So it's uh, when I see really crappy covers, <laughs> I go like, oh, people, don't you know that covers really do sell your story. Oh, they totally do. They can, they can totally make or break it. Yeah, I had some people. It's like they, they didn't want to, they want to pay what I asked for, and I said, um, they, they said, well, that's more than I made on the first book. I said, that's probably the reason why. But you know, I didn't say it that way. <laughs> I didn't say it that way, but I was thinking that, and I, and I all I said was, you you do realize that it's very important. That's first thing that a reader sees is your cover on anything that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's uh, and it's strange. It is the first impression they get of the book, even though it is not what regu- normally what happens with the author. You know, the author doesn't usually have a, the right. design to the, the cover. Exactly. So I did, but again, I I used to be a graphic designer, so right. So that's why you're you're qualified. So yeah. that's why that's why I say thank you. <laughs> Qualified and and you know when when person does the cover right, I tell him I said I said I think that you encouraged me with the cover, and that's and then I read your see that I said you got my attention with the cover, and then and then you went you hadn't gave me a good synopsis and I said okay this is definitely something that would uh, be be a good fit, so yeah, and that's why. Yeah, I mean, you got your 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 letters, your depth of deception. You got them in nice bold print. Your yellow, which is of course yeah. the color of the scene passes, and uh, next to red. And uh, and I keep telling people that it, it really does matter. And of course your 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 picture you use it definitely applies to the story. And uh, it, it's bright enough. You got you got the city lights. Well, it and, makes, and also because it was because it was set in 1982, I also went with a font that was very very much used in that time <laughs> Which is yeah. great, but it, the thing it, is, it's, it's, it's reminiscent of, of some of the TV show fonts that, that, that was used in a lot of TV shows in the 80s. Yeah, don't think of it. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. They went into the the and there's a reason. I mean, it's easy to read. Um, you know, if you start getting into scripts and scripty fonts, you, it's very hard to read sometimes, and uh, it's, uh, it's misunderstood sometimes. 
So what is up next for you now that you have uh, written your first book? Is there um, anything from, you know, does you say, hey, maybe I could take this character and, and go further with it? Or you want to get into something completely different? Or have you decided that yet? From from this book, um, the one character I actually grew to like was was Callum, the the insurance investigator, um, mm. who and he he wasn't in the original story when I when I first wrote wrote it as a like a three day novel writing contest and it was only seventy pages of that um, when I first wrote it and then uh, my agent had said you know would like to expand it and you need to you know this backstory with this other murder character has to come in from the beginning and expand on it and so this character I grew to really like him. And I I wouldn't mind seeing him in another in another story, but I don't know I don't have that in my head yet. So, um, but as far as what's next, I'm actually just taking another I'm actually a short story that I had written, um, which is a more of a psychological thriller. But I had written it well, actually written it as a short film, and uh, I'm just going to put that out uh, as an ebook because um, it was just going to be too expensive to film as a short film where I would never. You know, you, you don't make your money back on short films. And <laughs> no, so it's, right there. It's, it's, it's it's one of those things that um, that I'll uh, that I'll do. It's it's I think something like twenty pages on it on its own. But it's it's just one of those things. That I might as well share it with people rather than it just sit in my filing cabinet. Um, but as far as the the next novel I'm working on is another uh, historical murder mystery. But going back uh, to a couple more centuries. <laughs> well, you know, it was back to the 1800s. Right. Yeah. What year? I'm sorry, what year? Uh, 1830 France. Oh, okay. So you, you so yeah, uh, evidently really like to do the historical stories. Yeah. Um, I, I really I really enjoyed the, uh, doing the historical research and doing the the historical settings, you know, and and it can it can get to be a, a challenge, even with um, Death to the Deception, which was only 1982, which isn't really that long ago. Mm-hmm. But the changes that have happened, you know, since 1982, and then occasionally, you know, I've been working on it, like, is that invented yet? Does that exist? You know, and I have to go back, you know, to to see, okay, when did when did they start using fax machines? You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you got to get those kind of things right, because uh, you know people are yeah. going to catch you. Definitely oh, and, and I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a stickler for historical detail, and it drives me crazy when I see like, and again, I go back to films because I, you know, worked in films. But you know, when I go see a movie and there's something that's an, an obvious, really big that could have been, you know, easily fixed, it drives me crazy. Some some things, you know, for budgetary reasons, you know. Things aren't exact for film, but when it's when it's something like you know, I can't think of one right now, but you know, something that's just don't have uh-huh. it there, you know. <laughs> what it would have made it easy, you know, it would have been easier. Yeah, that's uh, probably one reason why you wouldn't want to do this this uh, screenplay for a short, or not for short, but for a small comp- production company. You'd want to do somebody who is. Uh, Able to go to different uh, settings that you have in your book, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that usually scares people. <laughs> it, it scares some companies away. I think you know, first of all, you know, anything being a period piece scares people away. 
because uh, that already ups the budget right away. Although 1982 is not that, not as big of a, of a period. Huh. Victorian London. But, um, but yeah, and then having multiple locations. Now, of course, you know, with how things have evolved, you know, with green screen and, you know, um, like, see, I, you know, work here in Toronto, and in, in Toronto it's often being made to look like various cities all over the world. So. Hmm. Um, I've noticed that there's a lot more uh, small production companies for uh, for film. Have you noticed that lately? Sorry, what, sorry, what was your question? The question was, uh, I've noticed that there's a lot more, either either there's a lot more, or I just wasn't looking. Uh, production companies for short films and for you know for small films. Uh, for for small production films, you mean? Or yeah, um, I would imagine so. Uh, it's you know there's it's it's getting easier to make films. You know, once you know, once upon a time when it was everything was shot on film, it was very expensive. Um, you know, with the uh, the advancement of technology as far as the camera equipment, not needing as many lights, you know, having smaller crews. Yeah, you could, there are there are more production companies, uh, but it, it always comes down to getting the financing. And regardless, even if you're dealing with a, you know, a, a production that's just one location and two actors, it still it still costs money. Hmm. That's the beauty of what I like about writing a book is that. You don't have to worry about any of that when you're when you're writing a novel. I can set it wherever I want to in any time period, <laughs> and, and I'm not limited to thinking about how much it's going to cost. That's what I'm getting to. That's what I'm getting to. That yeah. the differences uh, that you notice going from you know film to uh, to a novel, and a lot of it is that you can do do it or whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's. Uh, the the only limitations are is, is your own creativity. <laughs> it's, uh, your imagination can go can take you to write wherever in whatever world you want. You know, however many people or they can be however they want to. You know. We no um, limit in a novel. There you go. There you go. Um, and of course, script writing is completely different than uh, novel writing. Not yeah. only, I mean, you're talking about bare bones when it comes to script writing. I've got a, an author who is has just written three seasons for uh, his books uh, to go to television, and she he had learned that you know, you don't all you do is bare bones as far as he's got a lot of dialogue, which is which is why they liked they liked his writing. <laughs> but you know, you don't say you have to bother with. Uh, what what is that person feeling at the time? What facial yeah, no, person is going to that? Right. Yeah. Where yeah. that's completely that's different. Speaking. How did yeah. you transition? So, so. Yeah, the, the the screenplay is more of you know you don't tell the actor how to think. You don't tell you know aside from a couple of you know angrily in brackets and other than that you know there's nothing else. As far as motivation, it's up to the actor and the director to develop that. You don't get into telling the director what to focus on. 
Yeah, it's and and it's written in uh, screenplays are are written in in present tense always. Uh, novels are mostly written in the past, not all, because I've seen some some good ones that are written. That's why I was wondering. My tenses were all over the place. I kept changing tenses, and that was that was that was the hardest bit of, as far as the transition going from one to the other. Hmm. The freedom of to be able to write whatever was great, but it was just that. Sure. Learn learning that. I have some nonfiction authors who try to, you know, get into fiction author writing. And that's the same kind of hard transition is that they can really write a terrific nonfiction um, because it's mostly you know their opinion or fact that they're they're putting into a book. But writing characters and dialogue are completely different. <laughs> so yeah, how does explain that? And it's probably the first thing that, that most authors make a mistake in is the dialogue. Do you think being in script, you know, doing script writing like you had helped you with that? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, uh, I've, I've, you know, not, not to sound like I'm kidding my own horn here, but I have got, got a, uh, received a few uh, compliments on the dialogue that in, in this novel. Um, but I think that having having gone through the whole script writing process and working on dialogue and you know, has helped for that for, for, for the novel. And yeah, because dialogue can get can get challenging in both novel and script writing. It's you know, if you can have the characters just ramble on too much. So um so it, it is it is a challenge and it's not something that um you know, I, I think it, it, it comes with, with just constantly writing. I think there's not something that you can say, here's the surefire formula for writing dialogue. And, of course, part of it is I, I will sit and say the dialogue out loud. I'm sure it's crazy to anybody, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's really saying that, any of it out. I mean, when you whenever you're speaking out loud, um, yeah. the, your story, you're going to catch things that, that you didn't didn't know were there. So you got to fix them. <laughs> did yeah. you have a Did you have a, a good uh, editor when, or did you find one? Um, we're done. Uh, actually, by by the end of it, I we had about three people go through go through it. Um, but one was, and it was. And that was kind of my lesson learned. I initially tried to get the, the first ebook that came out because I was in a rush to get it out there. It, it needed to be, have another pass through, and I didn't I had gone through with with getting edited as far as you know a, a good editor going through and saying, okay, um, you've used this too much, or you're going on too much, or this needs to be cut out. We don't need it. It slows the pace down. You know, and it's, and especially with my historical research stuff, because you know I like to put stuff in, and then at this point, you know, <laughs> right, she would cross right. it out and say, "This, this is not something we would notice while we're running for our life." <laughs> so, you know, um, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's it, it's great that there's that detail, but we won't we won't notice that while we're 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 it's just completely brings it to a grinding halt. 
but where right. it, it needed it needed some extra proofreading, um, you know, after I made all the edits, it needed another proofread. And so the first ebook that went out had more errors than I would have liked. Um, <laughs> and and there's little tiny typos that spell check wouldn't have caught, you know. Right. And, uh, and there so and there, annoying. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so then once we before it before we did the print version, we had the printout and two more people went through it and uh just proofread it and made the last bit of corrections and slight little things that I didn't notice because one of the character names had changed and I there was a ghosting of the previous name. So, you know, things like that. It's just again, would would not be caught by a spell check, but it was it it needed. So that was my lesson learned and the advice to any writer. Get an editor and get people to proofread it before you put it out there because you know when that the, the first comments you get is oh I found this many spelling mistakes ah <laughs> yeah so yeah. so fortunately the the one the, the print version and the ebook that's out there right now has been uh, you know free of those those errors but the first ones that went out at the beginning of that's a benefit. That is a benefit of of ebooks first, is that you you're going to have these little mistakes and then you're going to fix them and it's pretty easy to get it back up. Uh, and oh yeah, that would be but the but as far as the print version, yeah, the one the print version though. That's why we wanted to make sure we got it right because <laughs> it was going to be more 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 of a hassle and more costly to to correct that. Yeah. Whereas the ebook, it was just a a new upload and that was it. Right. Just uh, I kind of I have a not that that same author who one of he after he rewrote his script, he had to go back and we're now tweaking uh, the third book in the series because he changed the name of one of the guys. <laughs> so I got to go through his whole book and change the name and uh, make certain changes to because. Uh, he didn't write it into the script that way, so, <laughs> so right. you, you might have things you got to change later uh, because of something that you find out uh, not necessarily it was correct, or or it's just like, oh, I, I changed this person's name for a reason, and now I got to go back in the physical books and change everything. So it's kind of uh, funny yeah, how that, that works. Be, that would be a headache. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So sometimes it's, it's easier to do one before the other, but the problem is that you know you got to have usually the books. Do you think it's easier if uh, if you have a book first in order to get the screenplay done and and get it into a movie, or because uh, I've I've seen it done both ways, um, especially in science fiction and fantasy, where sometimes the script is written first and then the book is written. Yeah, I. I don't know which would be easier or better, um, you know. And, and inevitably, you get you get things like, you know, Lord of the Rings, where people will compare to the book, which has been around for a long time beforehand, you know. And, and even though you can do so much CG wise that you couldn't do when you know the books were first created, and, but there's still you know people will complain why it's not quite like. Right. Um, There's no way to get it completely right. Yeah. But, and then 
also there, there tends to be, and this is, I don't, I don't know if there is this, it tends to be my my understanding of it. There seems to be, people don't look at the books the same way that are um, taken from a film. Here this film comes out and this is the novelization of the screenplay. And right. it's not how it doesn't have, same, have the same literary impact and as if it was created first. I don't know. That, that seems to be my impression. I don't know. I mean, hmm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Kind of like, uh, well, kind of an afterthought. Like, yes, we got to get the book. Um, yeah. That you know, we, we had the screenplay ready, and this is we're we're in production for the movie. I guess we got to get the book done so that way, you know, uh, we'll have we'll have readers of the of the story at the same time uh, with the uh, with actually the pictures from the movie. So yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Somehow it, it, does, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to carry that same um, literary aspect. You know, yeah, yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I didn't think about that before. That's definitely true. I mean, because um, yeah, I know Alan Dean Foster. He's an Arizona author, and he's, he's written a lot of uh, books based on screenplay, and so. Imagine that it's been pretty pretty difficult to to do it that direct that way. Um, but he seems to be pretty good at it. He's he's in yeah I think five or six of them that I know of. Uh, not not to mention you know Star Wars. So yeah, um, it's it's definitely I know that um, Terry Brooks said it is very difficult to to uh, do a book. After the movie, or the, when the after the movie is coming out, uh, so that's something that he. I think he's done it twice, and does he ever do it again? <laughs> you, you learn your lesson after uh, trying to deal well, with Hollywood. That, that's it's going to be different. <laughs> yeah, because I think the problem there is that you, you're. It's not so much the creativity. You don't have the imagination or the creativity of the author. You now have to follow what has been created on screen because that's what you're looking at. The only thing you can add is more of the internal stuff. I, I would, oh, I don't know. I've never thought about trying to do something like that. Well, I also heard that, that because they constantly change the script, that they're always often rewriting it. Yeah. And that, that's, I, I, that's the biggest headache of all because having to go back and fix things. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think fixing, that was what happened with with Jurassic Park. Oh. Uh, they were both coming out almost around the same time. One was a companion to the other. Um, you know, the, the, the book came out, but the book was... Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were working on, on different drafts. And so then, you know, certain characters that died in the in the book who lived in the movie. So it was, you know, drastic differences like that. <laughs> Is that a matter of that the book came out, uh, was already ready to go before the movie was done? Yeah, something like that. I don't, I can't remember now how it was. Cause I remember reading about it at the time. I guess it was going back to the Malaysian first draft of Park came out. I remember it was a different because I, I remember I had read the book and had then seen the movie. Okay, that's really different. 
Well, I think that a lot of that happened with uh, the Harry Potter series because yeah. they they wound up cutting out some characters, especially some of the ghosts, and by doing so, because they had already cut the, some of the ghosts, by doing that, they had to change some of the plot and having uh, characters say things they wouldn't, I, I don't think they would have said. So it's like, what do you mean she's saying that? So that's not who said this. And by changing it, it kind of changes the character. So yeah, uh, yeah made it made it kind of like, I don't know. I, I can see why they did it, because they, they, they had to cut some of the characters out. You know, too many characters is, is a nightmare when, uh, on screen. Um, yeah, well, and, they they do, yeah they, and they do that a lot, or they merge two characters together into one. And, oh, but that's, yeah. That's been, that's, that's been going on for a long time. It's not. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing new. You know. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like um, one of our roles are if your character doesn't, if a character's on in your story and it's it's not progressing the story. And they're just kind of there, just visiting. Then you need to get rid of them. <laughs> but yeah, in this particular case, it was an important part, and they wound up uh, get hand something where maybe J.K. Rowling probably could have thought about that beforehand. But you know, you don't think about how you're writing it, uh, how you're writing the novel, and thinking about what it's going to be like on screen. Did no. you did you have that issue when you were writing? Were you thinking, well, maybe no. I shouldn't write it this way because it would be harder to put on the screen for this way? No, and I and it was uh, well the the opening of this of Death of Deception takes place out in the middle of the ocean aboard um, a battleship as uh, you know that's that's on us kind of on a search and rescue. They're responding to an SOS to distress signal and then. They find this woman, and then suddenly, as they're still looking to see where this other boat is, there's suddenly this giant iceberg in the middle of the of the ocean, and they have to avoid colliding with it. That just it came out of nowhere. And if we put that in a script, that's the way a script would start off. Without the middle of the ocean, there's this ship, there's an iceberg. That the person who is reading it in the production office would immediately file it in recycling because it's just too expensive. That's the first thing they would write. So, so when I was writing it, it's like you know what I I like that I didn't have that. I wasn't thinking about a film. I just decided to write what I imagined, what I envisioned, and I wasn't going to to limit myself. Or it's one of those things that you know the what if if it makes into a film. You know, that's something mm-hmm. then we'll we'll, burn, we'll we'll bring that bridge back to the process. You know, see what we do there. Huh. Yeah, cause, yeah. You see those kind of you know beginnings. I mean, you know, here. But then I guess they're probably in the same time period. This is a this is a different in nineteen eighties, right? So where it comes in yeah. on? Yeah. Yes, it, it does. Hmm. Although we do have a um, flashback of sorts to make it fall. Oh, well, yeah. All of us authors love our flashbacks. All of yeah. <laughs> so you, I guess you, you love the idea of 
you know, because what would you actually tag your book as if you're going to put it in the shelf uh, in the bookstore? Where would we where would we find it? Uh, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it tends to be kind of across. Uh, I would say more mystery because it, it is mystery driven. Um, and then that was one of the things because I looked into it, you know, when I was submitting it for uh, this this one contest or different uh, sections, and I yeah, I actually put that on my Facebook. Would they you would you classify this as a mystery, historical fiction, action, thriller? What, what which category does that actually? Uh, fall under, and most of the people who had read it had uh, commented. They all said mystery. I said, okay, <laughs> mystery tends to be the even though it is, you have that also the sci-fi element of time travel, and you know. But I guess it's because there's this underlying unsolved murder, and as well as the mystery of who this mysterious woman is. So I, mystery seems to be the. the now, if you put song. mystery thriller, then you've got the thriller on it too. So. There you go. I think Although that's what I was talking <laughs> The the award that the book got was for, and it was one category was uh, mystery thriller adventure, and it was and it got it was a finalist for that from the International Book Awards. So there you go. It, 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 it's like, oh, it's all three categories here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, mystery seems to be the the one everybody kind of voted on. Good. A lot of people like mysteries, so I think that your yeah. book will do very well. Uh, again, your cover is definitely catchy, and people are going to uh, you know, gravitate towards it. So I, I think that you're going to do, do very well with it. The trick is, obviously, to come out with something else within the year. So yeah. if I'm going to give you any within kind of advice... That you that you you should come out with something else um, between the time that this came out and uh, within a year. Yes. Okay. And the reason is because you need to be out there uh, in, the, in the minds of the readers on a regular basis. They don't want to just read one thing from you. They want to see other things that they can read of yours. So if I give you any advice, that's it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, You're, welcome. You're welcome. So with that, my last question I always ask at the end of, uh, or I try to always ask at the end of my uh, interviews is, now that you've successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate? <laughs> uh, oddly, as, uh, you know, to tie in with your advice, I'm looking for a new dragon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Everybody has a different different answer, and it's kind yeah, of funny because I can interview a person uh, a year or six months ago, and they come up with a different answer now. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> although, although uh, the, the irony of that question is displaying uh, the dragon does come up in death of deception. Yes, that actual term, the term of it, comes up. A couple of well, times. some people want a little more clarification. It's kind of like, okay, you're talking, you're saying that the dragon is the book. Is it, yeah. it is whatever it is, whatever you want it to be. Yeah, no, I, that's, I, I think <laughs> the, the no, that's what I kind of took it to as, you know, because it is a, a huge not not just. I think anybody who writes and completes a book, you know, it's that's yes, um, it's it's a 
huge challenge, you know. Yes, it and is. And then to, you know, to get it out there, I think, you know, that's been the next step. And then it's, it's a hard and then, Yes, uh, actually, you know, I totally understand what you were, at least that's what I took from it from saying that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I read that uh, somebody asked me that in a an interview a long time ago. And uh, I really liked it. So I said, you know, something I think that I can ask people on a regular basis because uh, it really does. It, I also noticed that it lends towards the whatever genre they're writing. Uh, it always seems to, to apply. So it's kind of interesting. Your characters come kind of come out when you answer. So good answer. He's going out looking for another dragon, everyone. <laughs> so with that, Alexander, I really enjoy talking to you. And when you come up with something again, you definitely uh, look me up and, and we'll talk again, okay? Okay, sounds excellent. All right, well, thank you very much for, for uh, having me on your show. No problem. And, of course, this is not only live, but it's also um, uh, Memorex. So <laughs> I will be getting you the, the embedded code so that way you can put it wherever you want to. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye to Alex. And I want to remind everyone that it's not the end of the week. It's only Tuesday. And we have an, uh, we've got a virtual book tour with Chet Shoop tomorrow on my blog and also one with M.K. McClintock on Thursday, and then we've got another radio show with Weston, a good friend of mine, uh, from the conventions here in Arizona. He's an, a horror writer. He's a Bram Stoker Award winner. And we, Weston Osh is going to be with us 5.30 again, 5.30 on Friday, this Friday, July 6th. I'd like to wish everyone a happy 4th of July. And just remember that 4th of July only happens here in America, and we have 4th of July for a reason, to remind us that we are independent and we are Americans. So with that, I'd like to say goodbye, and I'll talk to you on Friday. This is KWAD Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing out for the day.